So I'm talking about identity today. Um, but just before that, I just wanted to say um, I was at a meeting, uh, a gathering of Christians on Thursday evening. When, when God's presence is in a gathering of Christians, things can happen without anybody even praying for them. And there was a lot of people there, and there was a lady who actually happened to be sitting in front of me. She got up and she said that um, after there was worship time and then there was a time of there was a talk and that. Anyway, sometime around that, without anybody praying specifically, um, she told that she had been, this is, this is for Jason, by the way. I'm sorry, I've been a bit sneaky and I've told you this. Um, she, <laughs> uh, she got up and she said that, that she'd been deaf in one ear for years and years. I can't remember how many years she said. Um, and during the meeting, her ear started popping and popping, and then it popped open and she could hear again. Fully, she could fully hear in both ears, and it had been years and years. Um, most of you don't know that Jason's got the same problem. Uh, but some of you know that we've been praying for it, and we prayed quite a few weeks ago, and it started popping, didn't it? And it's popped for about half an hour uh, at open door. And then uh, we prayed, uh, the week and a half later, we prayed at the end of the meeting and anointed his ear with oil and prayed again, and it was popping for the whole afternoon then, wasn't it? And then it's been intermittent since. So, so we've been praying this morning, and we've been praying several times, and you've started to get some hearing, haven't you? So just start, it's starting to get some hearing, and it's kind of muffled, and it's not got all the tones there, but it's starting to get some hearing. And so things can happen just you know, in the presence. So let's believe, and I know there's, I'm just looking around, there's so many of you that are, have got problems that you're having to deal with, pain and difficulty and just in God's presence things can change even if we don't pray but let's keep praying um, I've given Jason permission to interrupt me if he can start to hear me properly because <laughs> we want to glorify God okay because that's what it's about and we've spoken about God's glory today quite a lot we've spoken about his name and his his glory is shown if you look through the Bible if you study his glory is shown by him sending his power and his power brings the things of the kingdom, the things of his kingdom, how things are in his kingdom. And we experience a different one that we kind of partly live in here, where things go wrong and things are difficult and we have illness and suffering. But in God's kingdom, first of all, we're released, captives are set free, and we can be reborn. And secondly, deaf ears are opened, blind eyes are opened, the lame walk, all these things are what God's like. And I'm so, I'm so pleased with what Steve said. Steve Chuck said on the video there, um, it, just, it just fits in very well, but anyway, we'll come to that. Right, can I, can I start the stopwatch now for the half an hour? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this is, this, I started looking into identity because of looking at the same-sex attraction stuff that I spoke of before. But there was so much good stuff about identity, I just wanted to be able to do uh, a separate talk on it. Um, and so I've completely ripped off Tim Keller's work. If you're familiar with him, he's a great, um, great theologian and speaker. Um, and just explains things very, very clearly. So this is not my work. This is I've just you know I've just grabbed bits and I'm just skimming over it really. So identity is a massive issue in our culture, but it's very much misunderstood and it's certainly put on a poor foundation. So every culture imposes its way of creating identity, um, often without us knowing. Um, it does it without permission, and it does it without telling us what it's doing. An identity is uh, some kind of sense of self within lots of roles. So you, you, you have lots of roles in life, but what's the greatest thing you do? What's the core thing? What's the sort of very essence of your self? 
That's the question to ask, you know, is how you see yourself. And it's also a sense of worth. And for that, you need to ask the question, who is your validator? Who is the one that you look to to tell you that you're doing well, that you're living well? And so those, those are some key, key aspects, key questions. So I want to contrast. There's traditional identity formation and there's modern identity formation. So in a traditional identity, and bear in mind I'm talking in generalizations here, and obviously there is a spectrum and we tend to get bits and but you know bits of each, but just as a generalization of how things have gone. In a traditional identity, the greatest good is honor. And you can imagine a man going out to battle, being honorable and protecting his family and his tribe and his nation. And for women it would be having children kind of sacrificing yourself to bring up children, to grow the tribes that your, your family increases and your tribe increases. And it's all about that. And, and there was this sense of a sacred order. And the Greeks talked about a cosmic order, a sacred order. And they called it the Logos, which if you, you'll remember right at the beginning of John's Gospel. This is the reason he says that. He says, in the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. And that's what he's speaking to. He's speaking to that Greek understanding that there's this cosmic order, and he's saying, hey guys, this is who it is, it's Jesus. Jesus is that Logos. Um, so there might have been disagreement about what the absolutes were, what was moral good and right, the way to live, but there was definite understanding that there was absolute good and right. Um, and so in that kind of culture, the validator is outside of you, it's your community, it's your tribe, your nation, your family, they tell you whether you're doing well. And they, that gives you your sense of who you are and your identity. Um, and it, you know, it was a heroic identity about honour and sacrifice. And that is still true of some um, cultures now, particularly non-Western ones and, and among the over 40s. They viewed the problem itself as individuals and the solution was to live according to the sacred order to, for the community good. So this is going to be a, bit, a little bit of a lecture at the beginning, just so you understand this stuff, so we'll move on. Um, so the modern Western identity is, is sort of progressed in three stages. In the early 16th and 17th century, there was the Enlightenment, where they still uh, thought of it as there being a moral order, a sacred order. There were still absolutes. But now, instead of looking outside of them, outside of yourselves, you would find it inside. So instead of finding it from something like the Bible or tradition, you'd start to look to yourself, and you find it by your own reason. The reason was kind of the big thing. Then that moved on to the Romantic period, uh, where there was still, still sacred order, still absolutes, but now you find it in yourself through emotions, and it's all about feelings, you know, how you feel, and self-expression, and all this kind of thing. And then we move to late modern, or postmodern, which is where we find ourselves now, where now the, 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 what's declared is there are no moral absolutes. There is no clear good or bad. Everything is constructed. Um, everything is just from your culture. You don't discern morals anymore. You, you determine them. So it's like, I'll do it my way. I'll think about how I'm going to do it. And one of the most, apparently one of the most common <coughs> songs to be asked for at, at funerals is, I did it my way. And that kind of sums up that attitude. You know, it's all about yourself. What are you going to do? Forget it. Yes, I can decide. I can decide who I am, what I'm going to do. So. The validator is now you, instead of somebody outside you, and the problem is this sacred order, you know, and the solution is to be more individual, to think about yourself more. So there are five, um, there's five main differences between a traditional identity and a modern one. So in traditional, the ultimate good is outside of yourself, 
you, you find it outside of yourself, and in a modern one, it's inside yourself. You look to yourself. Secondly, you are your duties in a traditional culture, and you're going to sacrifice your desires to do your duties. In a modern culture, you are your desires, and you might sacrifice your duties where necessary in order to do what you want. Your identity is formed by obedience and fitting in in a traditional culture, but by achieving your own goals in a modern culture. And you, imagine, you, know, you see all these people just setting these goals, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to achieve this and the other. That's you know, very much in line with it, because you've got to you know, come to that, keep proving yourself. Um, the argument in a traditional culture is with the self. You've got to get yourself to do, what, do the right thing in order to honour out, what's outside of you. But in a modern culture, it's the outside culture that you've got the argument with. And you say, you must, you must honour me. This is who I am. I've chosen to be this person. I've chosen to be a man or a woman nowadays, even. You know, I've chosen to be a man or a woman. I've chosen to be this, that and the other. You've got to honour that. So the argument is now with everybody outside of you. Um, and finally, the validation in a traditional culture is uh, among your parents, your tribe, your nation. But now it's yourself. So you can just ignore, if necessary, you can just ignore any claims that anybody else might have on you, even if it's family. You could ignore them if it's to you know, be who you're meant to be. So the modern culture is the complete reverse of the traditional culture. We are the first culture in the history of the world to think like this. So the heroic narrative is no longer sacrifice yourself for others, but sacrifice everything for yourself. I'm going to, I'm going to read you some lines now from a piece of... Uh, the culture, you might recognise, when you recognise it, you shout out what it is. Uh, no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. It's time to see what I can do, to test the limits, to break through. The fears that once controlled me can't get to me at all. I don't care what they're going to say. I'm never going back, the past is in the past. Do you recognise this? Frozen, yes. The prize goes to Denise. You've got grandkids, yes. Yeah, so you know it and you've probably heard it hundreds of times. So there's this, I'm oh, thinking, there's a song that this character in Frozen, Elsa, sings, and that's it. And that really, that really shows this kind of postmodern attitude. Um, she, you know, she views this fears that once controlled me, now I'm going to break free, I'm going to get out of it. So if you're not familiar with the story, and I wasn't, so um, forgive me if I get slightly wrong, but. Um, this Elsa girl has got powers where she can freeze things. And she nearly killed her sister by accident, by accident using this. So her parents have said, no, you've got to control that. We'll send you away so you can't cause any problem. And, and you know, to keep it contained for the good of the sister, the good of the family, the community. A very traditional kind of attitude. Um, but then I think her parents die. And so suddenly she thinks, I'm not going to live by these rules anymore. I can break free. I'm free. I'm going to be myself. It's like, that's a fear. That, they're viewing that parental concern as being a fear, uh, a control. It's time to let go. There's no right. There's no wrong. You know, just, I can do what I like. So, but the trouble is, her, with her powers, what she does is she freezes everything. Every time she lets her emotions go, <laughs> she freezes everything. So it's great. She's really expressing herself. And isn't it wonderful? Because she's, you know, she's really special. Um, you know, the whole world is frozen. Millions have died. But, you know, she's expressed herself, and that's what really matters, because it's, and it's you know, so um, invigorating, and you just feel wonderful. But that's, that's it. That's what happens if you do that. So you can see there are 
there are some problems with this, this idea of a modern identity. Going with your feelings is a problem because your feelings go up and down and they're all over the place and they're con contradictory. I spoke before about the feeling of loving cake and the feeling of wanting to be thin, and they don't go together, you've got to decide. So there's, that's a silly example, but there's lots of conflict um, between your feelings. So it, it's just, just, you know, it's incoherent. Secondly, it's fragile. So if in a traditional culture, if your parent says, well done, you're a good son, uh, you're a good child, then who cares what anybody else thinks, because you've got that validation and you can feel good about yourself. But with a modern one, you rely on yourself. Um, but the trouble is we're such irreducibly relational beings that we can't validate ourselves. Um, and so what happens is we end up being suckers for consumerism and for advertising, because actually we do need outside validation. And so we have to constantly be displaying. And this is where you get things like Facebook, people trying to present a very particular life, that they're having a wonderful life, desperate for the likes, for these clicks, and people get completely upset if they don't get them. It's why people have to have the certain designer label, this, that, and the other, the certain car, all those things, because we're constantly, constantly needing that affirmation from somewhere else, even though we're, we think it's ourselves. We think, I'm doing my own thing. Um, so it's, it's very fragile because of that. It's also crushing, because um, you, as I said in traditional culture, you just fit in, be a good father, son. It's quite straightforward and therefore you know you're doing well. In the modern one, you have to be special and you have to keep proving it. And so you have to stand out and do greater things. Um, does anybody recognize her? Madonna. Madonna, yeah. Um, that's how she is now. Now this is a quote from her, uh, from an interview. And all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I'm always struggling with that fear. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. And then I get to another stage and I think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. And I find a way to get myself out of that, again and again. My driving life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody with a capital S, I still have to prove that somebody. My struggle has never ended and it probably never will. And she said that in an interview in 1991. Just think how many iterations she's gone through since then. She's, she's right. She is still having to keep proving it, that she's special. And, you know, she has to have a new image every time. Uh, so, yeah, it's crushing. It's, uh, it's also fragmented. Because how can we have a community if we're all making our own moral order? If I say this is right and that's wrong, and you say this is right and that's wrong, or you say nothing's wrong, I mean, how can we possibly have any kind of cohesion, any kind of community coming out of that. So modern culture is fragmented and we're just seeing it more and more, getting more and more fragmented in our culture. It's, it's also excluding because um, we end up having to feel superior to other people um, and looking down on other people that don't have your identity. So let's say you decide that I've looked inside myself and hard work is something that I really value and so I'm very hardworking and I, you know, possibly even a workaholic. So what I do then is when I see people that aren't like that, that aren't workaholics, just work an average amount, or possibly I might even look at them and think they're lazy, I can think, yeah, great, I'm better than them. So you start to feel smug and superior, and you start looking down on people. And so you end up demonising other people. And again, we see this on things on social media and that, don't we? People just demonising each other, and it just, just polarises, get these extremes of uh, difference of opinion, because they've got to constantly be proving that they're better. You're never sure if you've hit a target, if you've been good enough. Who's going to tell you if it's all down to you? How are you going to, how are you going to know 
whether you're good enough. You're just not. And finally, the last one, it's, it's basically a sham. It's an illusion because you're not looking inside and seeing who you are. You might think you are, but you're not because there's nothing really there that can give you an identity like that. Instead, what you do is you look to the culture and you grab bits and you think, oh, yeah, I'll have that because that's me. I won't have that because that's not me. I'll have this, so I'll have designer labels. I'll have this, I'll have that. Um, and you just construct something from the culture that's around you. But you think that you've made it up yourself, but you haven't. And even if somebody does get really creative and come up with something new, which you know, does happen, it's very quickly commercialised. And then you can buy it. And again, it's, you can just <coughs> pluck this thing off the shelf. So the modern culture isn't that great. So which is better, traditional identity formation or modern? Well, the modern atheist humanist culture often makes a mistake of thinking that Christians want a traditional culture or what they might think of as backward culture. But the truth is, Christianity, the Christian identity, is neither of them. It's not traditional, it's not modern. There are good bits in both. There's like a common grace. And so much of um, valuing individuals has come from Christianity, actually, because Jesus said that we are important, that God knows every, you know, how many hairs on our head. So that sense of an individual has come from Christian culture, but then when it goes a stage further and becomes idolatry and makes an idol out of the individual, then you start to get real problems. So nobody really lives out the full, complete Christian identity. We have to keep reminding ourselves. And it's summed up by the classic verse in Romans 12 where it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And bear in mind, that was said to a traditional culture. But it's just as relevant to us today in a modern, postmodern culture. So neither of those things is who we are. And we have to be really careful not to live in that, but to live in the, the, the Christian identity. So the, in the Christian identity, it's quite different. The basis of our identity is not anything to do with us. It's not about performance, our performance, living up to what our family expects of us, which can be, you know, very smothering. But neither is it constantly having to prove yourself by achieving all these things and showing off that you're doing it and then getting people liking that you're doing it. It's based completely on Jesus' performance, not ours. And it's the only identity in the history of the world that is received and not achieved. We find that quite hard, don't we? We find it hard, and I'm glad you know, we've been talking about it's been mentioned already this morning. It's really hard to just receive it, because we're so used to this culture that says we have to achieve things. We can't quite get our minds to think about it, but we've got to be renewed, we've got to renew those minds. And because it doesn't, because it's achieved once and for all and it's done, it doesn't go up and down based on feelings. So this is what that, that verse that Steve um, pointed out started, when Satan tempts me to, to despair. We don't need to live in that, because it's nothing to do with how we feel. It's about the truth that Jesus has done it. We just have to receive it. Um, and secondly, the validator now is not you, because you can't validate yourself. It's not your partner, and if you make it your partner, you'll run into trouble. I've spoken about that before. Um, it's not your parents, your tribe, your nation, your culture, Facebook likes. None of that is your validator, but God is. And Jesus prays to God the Father that the world would know that you sent me and have loved them, his disciples, even as you have loved me. So God the Father loves us as much as he loves his only begotten son. Not, not just a lot, 
but as much as he loves Jesus. But how, you know, how valuable are we? Steve, Steve has said this this morning. He sees us and he thinks we're wonderful. And again, we can't quite, how, how could that be? But it is. <laughs> it's like we've got to renew our minds to think in this different way because we've been so, we can be so um, in the mould of the culture and we have to break that mould. Um, so in the, in, the, in the Two Towers by Tolkien, um, it says, the praise of the praiseworthy is above all rewards. So the idea on this is, imagine if you are, let's say you're a comedian and you're just getting going, you've done quite a few gigs, but you get a chance to go to see your favourite comedian and see him live and you know, he's great, he's amazing, you can learn a lot from him, but then afterwards you get, you get to meet him and he says to you, oh, I know you, I've, I was at one of your gigs, you're really good. That's, that's the principle behind it, that because you value that person so much, because you hold that person in such high regard, when he then looks at you and says, hey, you're good, it just has such a power to it. This is this kind of ultimate, that God looks at you, and the only eyes that matter look at you and think you're wonderful. In fact, that you are a chosen people. You're more precious than the treasures of the earth. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession. And that's how he sees you. We really ought to have a bit of the Bible. So, um, have a listen to this. It's going to, this is parable, well, it's called the prodigal son, which should really be called the two sons. Please don't switch off, because I know if you've been in church for a while, you've heard probably more sermons on this than anything. I'm not going to say a lot about it, but it's quite important, so let's just watch this. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. 
For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill a fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So I'm sure you all know all the detail and symbolism, and if you don't, you'll hear about it in another sermon before long, I'm sure. So I'm not going to cover that, but what I do want to say is that the younger son there is a kind of prototype of the modern identity. It says, give me my inheritance now, I want to go off and live my life, I want to prove myself, I want to make myself somebody in this foreign land, I want to leave behind all this stuff, this closed village, leave it all behind and find myself and show that I'm special. And the older son is prototype of traditional culture, which says, I'm going to stay at home, I'm going to honour my father, I'm going to work hard, do my duties, forget any, any other ideas I might have of my own, I'm just going to, you know, do this. So there's those two different approaches. But the trouble is, both of those sons have got the same problem. And the problem is, that they're trying to achieve self-salvation. They're trying to save themselves. So one son does it by disobeying the father to get what he wants, and become who he wants to become. And the other son does it by obeying the father. And the way you know that is because when the father gets his other son back, the older son is not pleased. He says, look what I've done for you. I've worked hard, I've done my duties, I've done the right thing, the traditional identity thing. Why have you never done this for me? And so what you see in there is this glimmer that actually neither son loves the father. Neither of them loves the father for who he is. Both of them want his money. One grabs it early and basically in that culture, as I'm sure you know, says Effectively, I wish you were dead so I'd get your money. Give me your money now. Goes off and does that. And the older one, just use it as leverage. I've done my duties. Why aren't you treating me right? Why aren't you treating me as you should? I, I'm owed all this money. I'm owed this inheritance. No, he's going to get it anyway. We have to be really careful 
how we see ourselves. And it's only if we understand our identity properly that we can act in the right way. Because it can be quite easy to be the older son when things go wrong and when things are difficult and to then start turning things on God and saying, God, I, I did this for you. Why, you treat, why has this happened to me? Not even why have you done it to me, but why is this happening to me when I'm living for you, when I'm doing my duties, when I'm you know, doing what you require of me, when I'm being good, when I'm being moral, and all this stuff. It's just as bad. Because you remember Paul said that his, his good works were like filthy rags. So we're effectively saying, hey God, I've done all these filthy rags for you. Why are you treating me like this? Why is this happening? And it can be just so easy to slip into that. Now I'm not saying we shouldn't do good works. But, as you know, we, we do them out of love for God. So the key thing is, do we love God? Or are we only after him for what we can get from him? Or do we just love him for himself and for who he is? Just, let's just be careful that we don't obey as a form of leverage or as a form of salvation, even after we've been saved. Because that's the thing, that story is used to talk about salvation. But after we've been saved, we can still quite, not quite get it. We can still think we have to work for it and achieve the thing we've already got. You know, right back in the, in the beginning, um, in Genesis, that was the trick the enemy pulled on Adam and Eve. They said, hey, he said, hey, if you, if you do what I say, you can be like God, and you can have everything. Well, they already had everything. And so the reason they fell and made a mistake because they didn't know their identity that they already had. They already had the identity of being as close to God, to being in complete communication with God, to being with him as father, which is all they would ever need. But they didn't understand they had it. They didn't understand their identity. And so they fell for this trick. And we can fall for the same trick now. Being fooled into thinking that we haven't got what we need when we have. We've got to live in it. So just a few quick things about our identity. We're, we're, made, in the image of, we're made in the image of God. There's no image without an original, so this is why we can't generate our own identity, because our identity has to come from God. Otherwise we look for it in something else. We have to get it. You have to get that image from something else, uh, an idol. Um, themes in the Bible are other themes to do with adoption, which means we kind of get our last name. We're now part of God's family, so we have a, that, that last name. We know that we're included and that we're, we're part of it. Um, and then there's our calling and our gifts, and they're, they're all different. So this is like our first name. And there's this verse in Revelation that says, I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Um, and you know, I know Claire was talking about this the other week, and it's that finding that new name, like how God sees you. And another key thing is not even that we know God and not that we love God, but that he knows us and that he loves us, because again, that's constant, because we won't always feel that. We have to be careful, many of us have a modern identity or a traditional identity instead of a Christian identity, so let's, let's, let's understand, let's get that deep inside of us. We can't make anything our identity except our life, uh, in our life except Jesus. Since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Jesus loves you. Yes, you love Jesus, but Jesus loves you. The most important thing. And unless we understand that, we won't, you know, we'll just live life in a, in a very different way. Unless we understand God is good, 
and, the, and he loves us and we're part of his family. So when we pray for something, we're not trying to convince God to do something good. You know, sometimes we can feel that, God, why don't you do this? Please do this. We don't need to say, we say, Father God, thank you that you are good. You are righteous, you are just. And this is my need, or this is the need of my friend. My friend, okay? I'm just asking out of God's goodness for what is already his will in his kingdom. And that applies to all of us.